Good morning. It's Esti Schreiber here from SA Natural Products, the home of living naturally. And with me in the studio is Dr. David Nadia. Hello, Dr. David. Hello, Esti. Great to be back again. Welcome to part three of our three-part series on pregnancy. In part one, we've discussed everything concerning the first trimester. The second trimester is part two, and now we will be discussing the third trimester as well as the birthing process. And this is now the final stage. So this is where things start to become uncomfortable. And believe me, as much as what you might be scared of that birthing process, you're going to want this child out of your body when there is no more space for you and this child. When sleeping is a problem, when sitting is a problem, moving around is a problem, just having a normal meal is a problem because there's just not enough space. This child needs to leave the body. So we've, we're in the third trimester. The, this is now where you, 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 you're discussing with your doctor about the birthing process. You are now making these arrangements. You're doing your classes. You've learned about what's going to happen, how this child is going to be born. Your home is now being prepared properly. Baby showers are done, and they, they call them now nappy showers as well that people have. And I hear that it's wonderful to have nappy showers because you get given many nappies. That's <laughs> for daddies. They have nappy showers, and the women have baby showers. So all of these exciting things are all happening, and the house is changing to prepare for this new little baby that's coming. It can be the size of a shoe box but the amount of stuff that it needs to have fills a room <laughs> so, so we're getting ready for for the birth of the baby and bringing the child into the world so it's a couple of weeks to go you are extremely uncomfortable this is where you want to learn how to sleep with those extra pillows make yourself comfortable in the bed when you are full full-term pregnancy you can't lie on your back anymore that watermelon pushes down on everything. There isn't enough room for air in your body and all the food that you're eating and the fluids that you're consuming. You've got to go on your side. So lying on your side is far more comfortable. But now prop yourself up. Get yourself one of these. Some people get that sausage kind of pillow that goes between their legs and they can tuck it in underneath their, their tummy. And they hug it and they put it together. Because when you put a pillow between your legs, you're opening your legs a little bit and it just makes it more comfortable because the, the space, that you're making a little bit more space there for baby as well. And then have a little pillow behind your back as well, just to prop your lower back because that's the area that becomes tired and sore with this full-term pregnancy. So pillows becomes your greatest friend. A comfortable bed, great bedding, a good pillow to sleep with your head on. Make sure that you are sleeping well. This is where you want to make sure that your eating habits are great, that you're drinking enough fluids, that your bowels are open, that your kidneys are working well, that you're going to the bathroom often. Um, it, it, it's, it's just make yourself comfortable. That is what's most important. And then it is um, getting ready for, for, for the actual birth process itself. Your midwife is with you. Your doula is with you. You've spoken to your gynecologist. The process is starting. What starts the whole birth process? What is that hormone? So there's a hormone called oxytocin. Um, oxytocin. Yeah, and that actually causes the contractions to start happening. Who makes oxytocin in my body when I'm going to give birth? Is it the baby or is it me? No, you're making it. I make it. Yes. Is it not the baby that starts the process? No. Okay, I've heard before that it's sometimes it, it, it's the baby that starts the process. That's what I've heard. No. So it's a, the female body... So it has a hormone, oxytocin, and this starts the whole birth process. And that very first contraction, it feels like, oh, what's this? 
is it this period pain wanting to start? What am I feeling here? And then it's, then it's nothing. It just disappears. And then it can be an hour later. It can be six hours later. Whoops. There it is again. That is how it was for me with mo- both my children. It was there and it would disappear. And then it came back and then I knew, ooh, okay, here it is again. And it feels like a, a, a period pain in a very mild form in the beginning. You're just aware that there is pulling happening, a, a, um, contraction happening. And, and that tells you that this child wants to come into the world. Um, in that last few weeks or a week or so before baby is due to be born, you, be, you, you retain water, you puff up your fingers, your face, your feet, your ankles. Everything is just water and everything opens up. We, you, you, you wonder what's going on down there and when you take a mirror and you look, it's like, okay, what was always very nice and small and tucked and neat has now become enormous. Everything stretches and opens up and that's supposed to happen. Because you are going to bring a child into the world and you are going to dilate 10 centimeters so that this baby's head and shoulders can be born through your body. So that is the first step that you get the, this hormone that is secreted that starts this process. Now from the beginning to the end of birth process, what is the time usually? Is it a day, two days, four days, six hours? How long is birth process? It, well, it depends on when you start counting. If you look at the actual labor process, you got your first stage, your second stage, your third stage of labor. You do? Yeah. And in the first stage, you've got your early stage, which is what you said when you get those first little few tweaks. Yeah. Um, and that can be a few, last a few hours. It can be a couple days. Um, and, uh, and then that mucus plug appears. So okay. there's like a mucus, a pink discharge. Um, and then it can be hours or days before you moved into that next stage, which is the active labor. So when you talk about labor, we, we think we, most of us are thinking about active labor. But before you go into active labor, you can have all sorts of features. Yes, your body is um, starting. And, and, and your early labor is basically you can spend that time at home, you know, unless you're a high-risk pregnancy, largely spent at home. It could be a couple hours, could be a couple days. Um, and, um, and obviously, in first-time moms, the process takes usually longer. So, um, so the early labor you can largely spend at home, and then active labor lasts between four and eight hours. So active labor is when now the cervix is getting dilating from round about four, six centimeters all the way through to 10 centimeters. 10 centimeters is now fully dilated when the baby can be, be born. And roughly the cervix will dilate one centimeter per hour, more or less. Um, so you're looking at the active labor four to eight hours. And then there's like a transition phase, which is where things kind of quieten down a little bit um, just before the pushing starts. So, um, And that transition can be 15 minutes to an hour where things kind of active labor kind of settles down and it's what's going on here. And then the urge to push starts. And when that urge to push starts, that's the second stage of labor, which is called the birthing process. And that is usually 20 minutes to up to two hours, roughly. So you've gone through hours of active labor, the no. actual pushing, it can be short, especially in in moms who had a couple babies. 
um, and it could go for around about up to two hours of pushing and pushing. Now, that active labor that you talk about, that is when you're getting all those contractions. Yes, the contractions are now getting closer together and more frequent. Correct. And you're not yet pushing. It's just this... Yes. It's a pain. It's a, it's a period pain times a thousand that you have and it's sore. And when you have it, that's where the midwife teaches you to breathe and to push down, push down, push the, push the pain down because that's what's happening. This child is busy engaging into the birthing canal and you are dilating. You're opening up for this baby to come. All that is busy happening. Now, when you scream it, you're pushing it out through your throat by screaming. You're not pushing down. You need to allow, that's why they, they teach you those breathing exercises and they encourage you to push down when you have it and it will pass. So you can measure it on your, on your watch. It's so many minutes and then it gets closer and closer and closer and closer. And the doctor will then see again when you're fully, you, because you're busy dilating now. Correct. And then they will test again or check again to see whether you are now fully dilated. And when you are, he says, right, now we are ready for the birthing process. And what what can be interesting is the doctor can himself, uh, if it's a man, man uh, break the water. Because when do your waters break? Yeah, the waters can break quite a bit earlier. It um, can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now in my pregnancies, it didn't break on its own. The doctor, would he took these two fingers and when he would test for how far, how, how dilated I was, he just went clunk and okay. he, he opened it up and then the water came. And then the pain disappeared. Mm. Then then it's that final stage that yeah. you say that Transition you have. Transition phase. Yes, that moment. And you know what I did in that moment? I felt deep into a deep sleep literally and then in the faint background i heard the doctor saying it's not about you now ec it's about the baby it's not about you and my husband picked me up on the bed he lifted me up and he squatted with me and you say that final process can last what 20 minutes to two hours with with the pushing because now you get the sensation you got to push you now need to push you get that feeling i've got to push now, in, in when, when Daryl lifted me and put me on the bed and squatted with me out of my deep sleep, and I felt that sensation, with Monique, the birthing process was 20 seconds. Right. So that is how quickly. She was my second child. The first one was far more difficult. But the second child, it can be that yes, quickly. Yes, it can be quick. And that process can be painful, but it, it, with Monique, it was not painful. Everything was open and ready, and I was in a squat position, so the body's wide open, and baby just came with gravity. Yeah. So that is how miraculously it can happen. Um, would you suggest to a woman um, what is the best? Would the midwife be the one to encourage her how to position herself? Because lying on your back. Yeah, it, it's not the ideal, no, actually, the ideal position. because you're not position. opening up. Yeah, so it, it's variable, but you could be squatting, like you said. You could be kneeling. You could be on hands and knees. Any of those positions are okay for that um, birth Final. process and that pushing stage. And um, it just depends on the setting that you're in. You know, if you're in hospital, you're probably going to be on your back. That's how they do it. Um, but if you have a you midwife. You can squat there on that bed. You can. You can if you want. You don't have to lie on your back. No. And so, but if you've got a midwife, this is where the midwife is really a good idea because they um, they have all the the, the tricks of the trade and all the different um, positions that are really, really helpful, like in your case, and they can guide you 
um, in that process, and then um, so it make your life a little bit easier. Yes. Mm. Now, when when you're in this birthing process, and you as a woman's your bowel moves. Is that a wrong or a right thing, or is that something to be embarrassed about? Should you have an enema before you go and have your whole birthing process? That is quite common, um, and to pass some stool is quite common as well. You can imagine all the, with all the pushing and everything of that's course. happening, of course. Um, so it, it's, it is something that happens fairly commonly. I wouldn't say it's abnormal. I wouldn't say it's a problem. Um, I, it's not wrong. No. It's what happens, and if it happens, it's okay. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's not something that your body's doing wrong because it shouldn't be happening. Yeah. You are bringing a child into the world. And I think there is a reason why the vagina is right next to the rectum. Hmm. And it's got to do with about all the microbiome. This baby is being born into from a sterile environment into a world with organisms. And it needs to build an immune system in the birthing process. Hence why children come through the vaginal area that is full of bacteria and organisms that the child picks up and get ingests and puts in. That starts that whole immune system process. And the fecal matter that might be a few little things that are there that is coming through is not a wrong thing. We think of it as being dirty, filthy, shouldn't be there. And, oh, it, it, you, you now need to be embarrassed about it. It is a very normal thing that can happen when a woman gives birth. And when you are in the processes of all these stages of giving birth, when it does happen, just go to the bathroom. But make sure somebody's with you there when you do go and pass a stool so that they, they just with you. Don't be alone when you, do, when you go in there. And clean nicely and then carry on with the whole process. But if it happens in that final stage, it's not wrong. And there is a reason for it. Now, I've been to discussions where midwives and sisters that, that uh, um, uh, uh, medical sisters that teach you how this is so important in the whole microbiome development of a child is to have that vaginal birth. And that's why vaginal birth children often have stronger immune systems because they've been exposed to all this that natural flora that is present on and in mom's body. Oh, there's something that I as a mom and as a, a woman that's given birth just want to say to all women out there. When you're in that stage where you are in the birth process of the contractions, the second phase, and you get that hectic back pain, there is a little spot in your lower back area that if your husband pushes there, you must go and ask a chiropractor or physiotherapist to pinpoint that area. When you push there, when you get the contraction, it relieves that pain quickly. And it just settles it that you, you go through it, but the pain is not so severe. So let's talk about the pain medication that women would want to have with it. Epidurals to block the pain. Um, uh, gases to, to, uh, to block the pain or taking things. Your opinion on that? Well, I mean, there's research that shows that epidurals in vaginal deliveries can increase the labor time by 30 to 30 minutes to two hours. Oh, I don't so, want that. So if that's anything to perhaps not put you have. off an epidural, <laughs> not that there's a problem with the epidural, but it ca- there is some evidence to show that it could increase the duration of that labor process. Because you're not feeling it. Be, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure, but there, there is when they've, get, they've gathered uh, data from hundreds and hundreds of cases and, and worked out average times and it seems to correlate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, with epidurals, um, 
Sometimes you can have issues that ongoing issues like back pain and and or yeah. ongoing numbness. Um, so there are some issues with epidurals, and uh, and then of course they the usually when you give heavy pain medications like pethidines and those kind of things, often they cause such nausea that the 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 the, the whole labour process is also now accompanied by nausea and vomiting. Um, so they might give you some pain relief, but they often bring on really bad nausea, as a, which you might not want to have, I, no. I don't think, um, as well. You're dealing with all this pain. So I, I think it's a decision that needs to be, a call needs to be made at the time. But um, there are some drawbacks to having these things. Okay. So if you can do it all by yourself, do it all by Ideally, yourself. Absolutely. Have the midwife with you, your mom with you, your husband. Make sure that you know where to push on the lower back just to help that woman that's giving birth to mm. make those contractions that are so intense a little bit easier on the body. So now a baby is born. And that umbilical cord, that final stage where the child is in this world and um, the process has happened and before that cord is cut, is there something that is important for you at that moment? Well, there, um, there, are, there are some practices where they they massage the cord. Yes. Um, they wait for that last little bit of blood. Correct. Because yes. And there's, there's evidence to show that that can help with iron levels in the child. So that is something to think about and to ask about and do your homework on. Um, and remember that the third stage of labor can be 5 to 30 minutes before the placenta comes out. So there is that time where the placenta is still in and you can't leave it in. It has to come out. Um, and during that time, um, this is when this kind of process can be um, can be taking place. But you need to speak to your your doctor about it or your midwife and, and see whether they do that as a routine uh, or not, and uh, there is also something called delayed cord clamping, yes. where you leave the connection in place yes. for a little bit longer than normal. Yes. And this delayed cord clamping, particularly when you're worried about iron levels and so on, um, it seems to help reduce the likelihood of too little iron in the baby. The doctor that brought Monique into the world um, said, you wait until that cord is soft. Yeah. It is, it's finished. It's Collapse. done. It's yeah. collapsed. It's done what it's needed to do. Yeah. And that's when you cut. Yeah. There's no rush to cut that. There's cord. No, absolutely no rush to cut it. Yeah. So if you, if your child can still get, he, he said to us, she's still getting another half a cup of blood. Mm. Allow her that yeah. before we cut it. Yeah. Um, so that, that is how he did it. And then there's something else that you've also taught me that, um, from the cord blood. Yes. If the doctor takes a sample of that and sends that off to the path lab, they can test your iron levels again from there for baby. Yes. So cord ferritin levels. So one of the ways of determining the iron status in a non-invasive way. Yes. So not drawing blood from no. baby. Take a sample from the cord, yes. check the ferritin levels. They also do other tests as well. So to check the rhesus factor of the baby. So if you are a rhesus negative mom and your and dad is rhesus positive, you could have a rhesus positive baby. That's fine in your first pregnancy. But um, uh, if you have another pregnancy and it's another rhesus positive baby and you're rhesus negative, you could now have antibodies which oh. could affect it. So, so they also take blood there to check rhesus factor and so on. But um, check the ferritin levels. Really good idea if you can do that. 
and stem cell um, uh, uh, recovery and, and yeah, they putting do. it in a bank. Yeah, those so are that, all things, so to all things with that are ha- that could happen at that point. Correct. Okay, so those are all things to do. Now, now you have the very final stage of the birthing process, which is the little bag that where the baby lived inside of you has to come out. So that is the, it's not your womb that's coming out, it's the placenta and the bag. And when the doctor has, when you've, when, it's just a push. It's not sore, you just feel, oh, I've got to push again and oops, it just comes out. And now the doctor will check that bag and he'll check the placenta. You look at the quality of the placenta, how well it was formed, how, how healthy it is. And he will also, they can open up the bag. They can actually put their hands inside of it and open it up and look at the bag where your baby was living in for the nine months inside of you. And that can also give them an indication of the health of the child. So the the child is now born, the cord is cut, the pediatrician does a test, APGAR test, where they just look at the reflexes and things of baby. Color and movement. And and the breathing and where the baby is making noises and that. And then you get your baby. And you put your baby on you and you hold that little one and that bond that happens between mom and dad. It's precious, precious, precious. What would be even more beautiful is if you at that moment, believe it or not, but at that moment, if you give your breast to the baby, they know how to suckle right there and then immediately. And they can get their first little bit of colostrum in that they need for this whole process of life to continue outside of your body. The lungs are now working. The baby is beautiful. Um, the process has happened, and guess what? The pain is finished, and that is a natural birth. That is the beauty of it, that the pain is done. So baby is now born. You cannot expect your breast to be full of milk in the first two days. It doesn't happen. That is the time when your when your breasts are preparing your child's in, uh, digestive system for all the food that's going to be coming, and that's why the colostrum is so important. So your baby's going to get that nutrition in, but by day two and a half, three, that's when the milk comes in, and it is a moment where the milk you feel it. There is a a filling up of the breast tissue with this fluid, this milk for this child and feeding your baby and seeing how they're enjoying the milk. And it, it, when you, when you fed your baby and they're falling asleep and you just know you are, you are producing beautiful milk, but it's a time where mom rescue remedy is your greatest friend. Biostrath is a big must. You've got to have glorious food that's just being put there next to you. You've got to have somebody that's taking care of you because your body is is, is healing from this whole birth process. You're going to be tender and sore and a bit bruised and, and um, you might have had an episiotomy where the doctor needed to cut at the bottom there to allow you the birthing process to happen. You might have a stitch or two down there. So it's it's all that 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 could be happening. It's not a time for you to be running around the house cooking food and and preparing everything for everybody else. It's somebody else needs to take care of you at least for that first week, two weeks, where you can just be the queen of the house with this little baby, and you can just bond and take care of this new little life that you have in your in in in, in your life. And how soon after the birthing process should a baby be bathed? Not for that first day. 
allow whatever is on the skin to protect that child. And then after that first day, yes, you, you can, t- you can wipe off the excess blood and the, 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 there's a yellow stickiness that comes when a baby is born. That is, that's all there. It's protection for the body. But that child onto your body, skin on skin, onto dad's body, skin on skin, that's how you build an immune system with your baby and that bond that you make from the first moment of life. It is just precious this time and then it is when the, this, this breastfeeding and everybody else is taking care of you now a trick to remember for every woman that's given natural birth the genital area is now all swollen and sore and you've maybe had a cut in it a something to do is you want to make that area cold now a nurse told me this trick she says you take a condom you fill it up with water you close it up Malcolm too and then you take this condom and you freeze it. And then you take this frozen condom and you just put it there between your legs against the genital area. The coldness takes all that, it numbs that area, it chases all that blood away, it helps with the bruising, it helps with the trauma that's happened down there. It gives you great relief and it doesn't leak. It doesn't make everything wet. And that's why this is, this is so good. But this is a time when you use meal, your homeopathic remedy meal, because of all the trauma that's happened, all that bruising that's happened down there. It helps with that healing quickly. And you can take it internally. It's going to go through the breast milk to your child. It's not a problem at all. If your child was born by forceps, they might have a little bruise on the side of their faces. The meal that you're taking is going to address that. This is also the time where once you've left the hospital, that you go and see your homeopath with your baby, that the home Homeopath can assess this child as well. Um, everything is well. You don't have a problem with breastfeeding. The child's tummy is working well. Sleeping patterns are normal. Let them help you through that to get into a rhythm. It might be a good idea to see a very good chiropractor that knows how to work with babies too. Because this whole birthing process, the little spine, just needs to be aligned. And you're not manipulating now in a hectic way. They take their fingers and there's just a gentle push that the chiropractor knows how to push. And they hold the baby in a very special way that when they lift the child in that way oops they stop screaming it's an instant they just stop crying they love being in that position I've watched it now I'm I'm amazed at how a chiropractor can do that and they can just position that back in a proper way and that could be the end of colic for your baby because colic can be brought on because the spine is not aligned properly so those are gentle things that one can do and then it is just you your family and this newborn and a time to just enjoy this new little bundle. They grow up quickly, so enjoy it. And we're going to have another podcast where we're going to talk about what to feed children and that. But just to end off with, if you can at least for the first six months that that child is born give breast milk, you are doing very well. If you can go for longer than six months, you're brilliant. But in today's world, If we can give our children breast milk for the first six months, you've done so well, if that is possible. There are some reasons why a woman can't. She can have nipples that are not formed properly and the baby can't latch and it's just too painful. It's understandable. But if it's possible for you to breastfeed your child, try for a minimum of at least six months. And in that time, you carry on doing exactly what you did throughout the pregnancy. You avoid alcohol. You avoid the stimulants. You avoid 
anything that can harm this child chemically and you ensure that you're eating the abundance that nature has, drink lots of water because you're making lots of milk. You've got to drink a lot of water to be able to do that. And to make proper, brilliant milk, there are two key things. Number one is biostrath. And number two is alfalfa tonic from Natura. That is lucerne in a bottle. And if you know what lucerne does for a cow to make milk, it's beautiful, rich, glorious and abundant milk. It does exactly the same for us women to feed our babies with as well. So alfalfa tonic together with our biostrath. I think we've covered a, a lot today. Um, I think it will be a good idea to do a talk on, on nutrition in early in, in the first year or the first 12 months or 18 months. Yeah, but I think we, we've given lots of valuable tips today, Steve. Well, enjoy your pregnancy. It's a special time. It comes only for nine months and then it's all done. It might come only once in your life. And for some other women, it is for more of it. But enjoy it because each one is unique. From myself, Esty, and from Dr. Dave, we say goodbye until next time. 